Good morning, everybody. Great to see you here. Welcome to the Bethel this morning. Welcome to our service. I'd like to read uh, Psalm 8 to you before we begin. Well, to begin. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set the glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise. Because of your enemies, to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We have a majestic and amazing God who's put this universe in place, but he has time for each one of us and he's, he's here with us this morning as we come together to worship him. And we're going to begin our worship by singing, O God, beyond all praising, we worship you today and sing the love amazing that songs cannot repay. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Dear Lord, we are privileged to be able to meet here this morning to, to worship you. Uh, we gather as, as your church, gather out of our communities, many of whom still aren't aware that you made this earth. And despite all the things that we see around us, all the uh, intricacies of nature and the beauty that we see, they carry on unaware of your presence. And Father, we, uh, we pray that you'll help us to to share the good news about you and about your son with the people around us. And, and that's one of the reasons why we meet here this morning, as your church, as your light stands here. But it is a privilege, Lord, and we thank you that we're able to do this in, in freedom and safety. And uh, we ask that you accept um, our praises and our worship this morning, accept the love we bring, and help us to know your presence. Please be with us and bless us as we meet together. Thank you for bringing us here safely and um, we will think later of those uh, of our number who aren't here. We pray that you'll be with them and help them to know your, your presence as well. And as we remember your son a little bit later, please help us to have a renewed zeal for you and a renewed love for you that we can take away as we go and, and share with people that we meet and we come across. We pray for your rich blessing on us this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. And so we've come to the, the care announcements. It's lovely to see Mary with us today. And we're so glad to hear that she's had a good week. We pray that her treatment will go well and we ask for a special blessing on her and Jack. And they're very grateful for the love and support they have received. It's also good to have Gladys with us again. And although we know that she is still struggling with her breathing, it's very difficult for her to be here. And we pray that she will be helped and it's, it's great to see her. Um, Hannah had an appointment with her kidney consultant this week and he was pleased with her progress, which is excellent news. But she has been diagnosed with postnatal depression. Um, she's receiving, she and Ollie and Hermione are receiving loving support from other, others. We pray for a blessing on them. And also on Des and Phoebe, who both have um, stomach bugs at the moment. Mike and Lucy are also really pleased that Sophie is making good progress and is feeding and growing well. We thank God for his care, which we also see in those who are caring for her. And we pray that God is with all our families and pregnant mums, and that 
we are all a help to each other as we see a need and for those that we don't see. We pray that we may be an encouragement to all our family. Thanks, Thank you, Charles. Does anybody have anything else that you'd like us to pray about? Because we're going to pray shortly for our family. Let's pray together again. Our dear Father, we we know how much you love us and um, and how much you love all your children. And we've been hearing of the plans that this church has um, in your name and also of some of our brothers and sisters who are perhaps not so good. Um, and we, we want to bring them before you now and place them in your hands. And we, we think particularly of our, our lovely sisters Mary and Gladys and Hannah and uh, Marion. We don't know how Marion is, but we pray that you'll bless her and bless Mary and Gladys and Hannah um, and strengthen them and uh, help us to to be family to them and support them in whatever way that we can. We pray for Sophie as well, that you'll continue to to be with her and give her increasing strength and help to grow and, and develop and, and do well. We pray for Mike and Lucy and, and Ollie as well and Jack as they support their loved ones. Father, there are others of this family as well who may not be here today who we maybe have not heard of and we pray that um, you will help us to to be there for them if they have difficulties but most of all that you will be close to to all your children and but help them to know that you're close to them as well and to feel your presence and feel your love we pray for your blessing on all the things that we've planned as a church in your name in this community that as i said before the good news of you and your son and your kingdom will be will be spread around to to families and to the children that we come across and to all all who we meet and that people may come to know you as a result of some of the things that we do. Please bless us richly in that. And most of all, Father, we pray that you will send Jesus back soon so that uh, everybody will know about him and about you and that all the problems in the world will be will be solved as we look forward to your kingdom. We pray that you'll be with our brother John until that time as well in the Congo. It may be that we don't see him again until then, or it may be that he does come back to us here in Manchester. Whatever is your will, we know is the right thing, but we pray that you be with him. Bless him richly. In Jesus' name, Amen. We know that whatever we're facing in life, be it good or bad, be it difficult or smooth sailing, we, we trust in God. And uh, we're going to sing another song of worship now. I will worship with all of my heart. I will praise you with all of my strength. I will lift up my eyes to your throne. I will trust you, trust in you alone. I've asked Alex if he'll read the first 28 verses and then Deb to take over until chapter 21, verse 11. Thank you, Alex. Matthew 20. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? 
Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So, the last will be first, and the first will be last. Now, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favour of him. What is it you want? he asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, 
and at once you will find a donkey tied there and her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you, tell him that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. The crowd are cheering, waving branches, shouting, Hosanna in the highest, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It says the whole city was stirred, asking, Who's this? The answer, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. And in less than a week, the cheering had changed to jeering. Jesus hung on the cross in what we can only imagine as excruciating pain. And the shouts had changed from, blessed is he, to, come on then. If you're the son of God, get down off there. Then we'll believe you. And Jesus turned to them with a cold stare and vaporised them into oblivion. Well, he didn't, did he? I might have, if I could. He could have, but he didn't. He forgave them. He could have got down from that cross, couldn't he? But he didn't. Despite uh, the taunting and despite the pain, he stayed. He stayed for me and he stayed for you. And he stayed because he loves us. The king of love, crowned with thorns, blood dripping down his face, pierced through his hands and his feet, the blood draining away from his body. He stayed and he endured the cross um, so that we might understand how much he loves us, how much his father loves us, how much he's willing to forgive us and save us. And it's not dependent, is it, on how long we've worked in the vineyard or anything like that. All that he wants in return is for us to love him back and to live for him. So we come to share the bread and the wine and to remember um, that amazing love shown on the cross, to remember our Lord and our Saviour and to celebrate that in his death and his resurrection is our saving. Before we do that, we're going to sing together. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And so, Jesus, I take myself there to the foot of the cross. 
and I'm really trying to understand I'm really trying to just get it why you as the perfect one need to die for me and I look up and I see pain and I see anguish and I see suffering and I know it's my fault and all I can see as I look through that is love and a love that is beyond all comprehension and all understanding and it's love for me and it's love for all your followers Jesus and the emotions are so mixed the horror the disbelief the thankfulness the joy thank you Jesus thank you for dying for us thank you for going to that cross help us live up to your standard as we share bread together now help it recommit us to doing exactly that help it demand my soul my life my all because that would be an offering far too small thank you Jesus Amen so this bread reminds us of his broken body as he hung there on the cross and reminds us of that love and that forgiveness of sins and uh, we're going to share it now as he asked us to Mighty God, here we are again in your presence. What can we say of you? You delivered Joseph from the hands of his brothers, from the pit, from jail, and you raised him up to look after a nation. You saved Daniel from the lions, from their snapping jaws. You rescued David from the hand of Saul and you gave him peace from his enemies when he was king. You saved a nation from slavery and delivered them to a promised land, their kingdom. You delivered our Lord, our Saviour, from death. It could not hold him. Father, we thank you for this cup of wine. As we drink it, we remember our Lord and Saviour Jesus, who shares in your work of deliverance, of salvation. That is your plan for us. It represents a new covenant, where you will be our God and we will be your people and you will forgive our wickedness and remember our sins no more. What a wonderful God you are. 
Lord Jesus, as you sit at the right hand of your Father, we know your work isn't finished, that you still work in our lives. Help us to reflect and remember all that you do for us at this time. We are a family in your name, and we offer this prayer now. Amen. Again, because he asked us to, we're going to share this wine together. This wine which is a reminder of Jesus' blood shed for our sins, in which our sins are washed clean. As Steve mentioned in his prayer, death couldn't hold the perfect Son of God, and his Father raised him to life again for our justification, raised him to glory, um, and he wears another crown now. We're going to sing, crown him with many crowns, crown him the Lord of life, who triumphed over the grave and rose victorious in the strife for those he came to save. His glories now we sing, who died and rose on high, who died eternal life to bring and lives that death may die. Let's sing this in praise of our Saviour who uh, sits at his Father's right hand. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Well, it's a great pleasure to have Tony Norris with us and it's time now for him to come and encourage us. Thanks, Tony. It's always a little bit alarming when he's invited to come and encourage folk. The reason for this is that the theme today is actually going to be negative. Now, the reason for that is a number of incidents have happened in my life and in others that made me think about this theme. And then there was a reading in Matthew 20. And the theme of the reading in Matthew 20 is envy. So that's the subject I want to talk about. Now, I find also that amongst the brotherhood, some of this will be completely mysterious and irrelevant to you because you're just not that kind. And for others, you may find, because it is a family trait more than anything, that you're very well aware of how, what the, the things that go on in your family and you're not very happy about it. And furthermore, you might be guilty of it yourself. Now you can see in Matthew chapter 20 that the position regarding disciples is that you have believers who are envious. So it can happen. I'm also aware of, of it in a family situation, both what I have witnessed and what I have done. Now it can happen for three reasons. First of all, which is very understandable, I suppose, is that you have nothing, and therefore you envy those who have. Now that, to some extent, won't apply to us in England, because even if we are poor, the state will provide all it thinks we need and you might say it's not enough or you might say it's more than enough I have heard both arguments it's not only concerns the things that you have it concerns 
what you are and what folks think about you and what folks think about you is I think probably the biggest single cause of the problems and it can strike anyone down at any time for no reason and it's completely irrational it also concerns in the same idea of what you have is that you may actually have quite a lot but you are envious of those who have more so therefore rich folk compete with other rich folk to become richer still and they do it out of envy finally it can happen to those who are right at the very top of the tree and don't want anyone else to come close now all these things can happen not only in the world it's outside as we know as we expect but it can happen within the church and it can happen within the family now I also think not that I think it excuses this is that it is a family trait in certain families and I have seen families with a complete absence of envy so that if, if you are in that sort of situation you will find this exhortation not especially useful to you um, but if you are of the sort that have lived in families with a bewildering amount of envy about it then it might help a little bit and if you find that you are struck down with it without notice from time to time for reasons you cannot understand and when you walk along afterwards and you think what on earth was I doing how could I have been so stupid then it might have some meaning to you now I believe that there is nothing more destructive in a person's life than envy and the only positive thing you can say about it is that it brought about Joseph that was mentioned fortuitously before I stood up and brought about the salvation of the Jews from the famine in the land of Canaan and also it brought about the death of the Lord Jesus envy brought that about so there is a positive side effect on occasions but one thing I can tell you for sure is those that did the envy had no intention whatsoever of bringing about that positive effect none whatsoever it was just a happy accident or the will of God or a bit of both in the cases of Joseph and Jesus I think it was the will of God but that's by the by that is not to say that if we are envious we are doing the will of God or even bringing it about we can't use that as a justification but it can strike at any moment and make you do the most irrational things and it affects churchgoers and unbelievers alike but not all because I have done an analysis within my own family and the various strands amongst the family and I know which parts of our family are envious and probably worse than anyone else as I know to my cost and I know other parts of our family which just 
haven't a clue what I'm on about because they just don't feel it. They are the families that are like the the men who who are rejoicing because the bridegroom is with them. They can share in someone else's happiness, which is wonderful. And there are others who, when someone is happy, wants to bring them down a peg or two because they can't share that joy. And I've seen both in my families and in others, and I'm sure you might have done as well. And you cannot put a reason on it at all. You cannot justify any of it. But it afflicts you, as it did the disciples. And it afflicts those who are unbelievers and those who are not believers, those who are believers. You could argue that the very, very first case of irrational envy was Adam himself. Do you suppose he was lacking anything? Of course he wasn't. And we would give our right arm to live in the situation that we, that he was in, where everything in the garden was lovely, didn't have to scrap for food, you had everything you wanted. What was he envious of? To be as of God's, knowing good and evil. What did it bring about? Brought about the fall. So that was irrational. I mean, I, I can see some kind of ration behind it because he, he could see probably uh, infinity of doing a bit of landscape gardening and eating the fruits that were available to him. And he'd probably by the time that infinity passed, he'd be sick of a lot of them. But that's human nature. Next example of envy is not rational at all. I think you know who I'm talking about. It's talking about Cain. Now, you find that I suppose you can argue that Cain was unlucky. That his, his aptitude and what he grew wasn't good enough to offer God as a sacrifice. You could argue that. Um, but I imagine if the, um, our forefathers of 6,000 years ago or whenever um, would probably require a balanced diet the like, same as us, and I imagine that he could have traded with Abel. And I imagine he could have bought a few sheep and sold him a few cauliflowers. Um, I imagine he could have done that. But he didn't. So Abel was in fact in the, I suppose, the lucky position. He happened to be in the right job, growing the right things to offer the sacrifices. I mean, I suspect it goes a bit more than that. You can read from the record that Abel actually took some pride in his sacrifice he gave because he gave the first fruits, in other words, he gave the best. My suspicion is that Cain offered the moldy old cauliflower and said, God, here you are, how about it? And it's not surprising that God was not that happy with it. So he told him so. God says, well, you, you, you know what you can do. Sin lies at the door, you must master it. Do better next time. He then goes across to his brother Abel. Notice it's within a family, as these things often are. And we don't know what the conversation was. It's not on record. But I imagine somewhere in the conversation, Abel said, well, look, you know, you've only got to come and ask and I'll give you all that you might need. Not a problem. I imagine that was this. But whatever it was, something got Cain's goat. And I can assure you 
that what got Cain's goat was nothing that Abel said, but what was inside himself. Because that's what envy is. It's completely illogical. And you know what happened next. We read, and this is a person himself who was subject to envy himself in, in Acts chapter 6. Now, um, here we go. Give me a minute or two to find it. Acts chapter 6. Right. Verse uh, 10 of Acts chapter 6. And this is a talking about the Apostle Stephen. And Stephen, verse 8, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. What's the problem with that? You would look at those people who were, who were, who were arguing, you would say to them, what's your problem, wouldn't you? Then there arose Satan of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines, and Cyrenians, and Alexandrians, and then Cilicia, and of Asia, disputing with Stephen, and they were not able to resist the spirit, the wisdom and the spirit which he spake. And they didn't like it. Why not? It's a positive gospel. So they suborned men which said, We have heard this man speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they were lying as well. That's what it does. It's an irrational thing and it makes you make irrational accusations. Then we move move on to um, chapter 7. And Stephen in his defence mentions just such an incident himself. Verse 9 and the patriarchs moved with envy. So Joseph into Egypt but God was with them. That's a family. Ten brethren. Ten brethren all at it. Moved with envy. Were they provoked? Well they might have been actually. But not enough to do what they did. I, it's not especially nice in a family if one child is the blue eyed boy. They probably didn't have blue eyes but that's by the point, by the way. Uh, one child is a blue-eyed boy and he's given the posh clothes. Not, not particularly conducive to family unity, is it? And furthermore, when Joseph went to visit his brethren, he used to come back and tell tales of them, or so it seems. He gave his father an evil report. So he may have been partly to blame. But that doesn't excuse it. You find we looked at Cain and Abel and I think there was absolutely no excuse whatsoever we found with Joseph's ten brethren there was some kind of an excuse but moved with envy and it so turned out that things worked out very very well we could tell they were a, they were a rum lot because when in fact they do eventually meet up and they realise what they've done the thing that Joseph says to them he says well when you go back to fetch your dad don't quarrel on the way. They knew there was quarrelsome lot. That there were a lot of problems in that family. It doesn't justify it. But it can afflict anyone at any time. That's the trouble. And then you look at you look you look at um, King David. Now King 
David was very good to his master King Saul very good now I don't really rate King Saul that much um, King Saul and I imagine ruled the country with some effect for about 20 odd years 2025 I reckon and I don't think he'd made that bad a job of it but I don't think his heart was right towards God King Saul the one such person who didn't start off life being envious because when he was told about the kingdom he did two things first of all he didn't tell his uncle about the kingdom he said nothing about that he was only bothered about the asses and that when he did get a chance to when he, his time came to be appointed he hid himself amongst the baggage so clearly he wasn't that bothered at that time but once he'd got something in other words he was now near the top of the tree or the top of the tree if you like he needed to hang on to it anyway he was, he'd obviously done quite a decent job in, in sorting out the Philistines and then this young whippersnapper comes along who was probably less than 20 years old and the girls come out to dance and they mentioned two things in their song which I'm sure they did out of complete innocence yes Saul's killed his thousands David is ten thousand what possible race could Saul have a problem with that because he did it on behalf of his master but he didn't like it and he then spent what I reckon was the next ten years or so thinking about nothing else but how he could destroy the person who envied him whatever for but it's that kind of madness that can strike some of us not all those of you who it strikes will know who you are I know who I am and it strikes me completely insane destructive it doesn't make you happy it gets you absolutely nowhere the thing was I appreciate that Saul wasn't that good at what he did and one thing he was a terrible shot he, he, he got this spear and he tried twice to strike David he missed and I don't think he liked that much either God sent him an evil spirit but it made no difference and the thing was he was warned this is, this is another thing despite the fact that you're warned you can still fall and, and, and he could see how David was his son Jonathan said to him he's been very good to you what on earth are you doing this for and David spared his life once and God had put Saul into his hands I'm convinced and Saul says yeah I realise I've done wrong the next day he was still at it right there till the end of his life the difference between Saul and David is that David said Saul was lovely not quite my verdict on the matter of things but it shows you the grace of the man envy comes without grace and we look at the we, we also know of course that the Pharisees delivered Jesus up for envy and, and 
you can say this in, um, it was quite, it was nice that the few verses were read on into, into Matthew 21. Now, when you look at the Luke record, how the multitude laid palms and rejoiced, in the Luke record it says, and the Pharisees turned round to Jesus and said, tell them off. Why? Because Jesus spoke with authority, not as the scribes. Envy has been there ever since the world began. And it's completely irrational. And they were believers of a sort. Same as we are, church goes. And you look at the labourers in the vineyard. And, and the thing that strikes me about the labourers in the vineyard is it, it, and it, it's only just occurred to me because I happen to be thinking about the Lord's Prayer at the same time. Is what was the reward? Now I think we tend to assume in our interpretation of this parable it's talking about the kingdom. Well it might be. But the reward was a penny. And I am told a penny was a day's wages. Alright. So basically the, the, those who came in at, at 9 o'clock in the morning, 6 o'clock in the morning, he says to you work for me today and I'll give you a day's wages. Those who came in at 5pm you work for me in the last hour, I'll give you a day's wages. Now then, remember that the man was generous, the householder. Do you suppose he could say to those who came at five o'clock, I'm, I'm going to give you um, a twelfth of a day's wage? What would they live on? They needed a day's wage, same as anything else. So really, the labourers the vineyard would say, so the, the, the master of the house would say, look, I've given them enough to survive on, same as you, what's your problem? And I think, at the very least, we need to think that about ourselves. But then we look at the disciples. And I, I have a feeling that in this family of disciples, leave out Judas Iscariot, um, think about the other eleven. As far as I can see, there were two brothers of the same family who wanted to be top dog or top dog and, and, and deputy dog um, and then there was Peter and his brother Andrew who introduced Peter to the gospel and to the Lord was out of it so you have two brethren with envy and you get another pair of brethren one with envy and one, one not and you get the other eight who, 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 who are ordinary beings and it's three times, I think, in Scripture that these things happen, that the disciples squabble, and that every time, that every time there is some other incident that makes the whole thing inexcusable, at least in the eyes of the Lord. Because in the Matthew 20, what does Jesus say? He says, I'm going up. Probably next week I'm going to be dead. And what happens? The mother of John and James comes to Jesus and says, I want them to be number one and number two. Talk about bad timing. And that's what happens to us from time to time. Bad timing. 
And in fact, they'd now had, they'd just, a week or so later, as if they'd never left, they had the most moving breaking bread service that ever happened. And in the loot record, what happens? They squabble. They squabble before they go out to the garden. And that was the best that mankind could offer that came to Jesus that did that at that time talk about being irrational that can happen now to close with I want to think of one positive example how it should be and it's Barak Barak was about to set about on a battle and Deborah comes to him and says yeah fine come with me but I'm going to tell you something. It's going to be a woman that's going to seal the victory, not you. And all the glory will pass to the woman, not you. You know what he does? He goes out and he fights. And it just doesn't seem to bother him. Empty doesn't come into the equation. He's got a job to do. And he does it. And he gets a, me- gets a message. In Hebrews 11, and I suspect that's the reason why. So, envy should only be the envy of God, whose, whose spirit lusts to envy, to help us to walk before God with an outward thinking, not an inward thinking of our own pride helping others on the way and having no regard to our reputation or anything else to live peacefully with our brethren. Thank you, Tony. Thank you to the band. Thank you to everybody who's helped me out this morning. Just before we close, I'd like to invite you all to continue our fellowship together and join us for lunch next door afterwards. Charlie's going to close in prayer for us after we've sung um, Tony's chosen this and it's a it is an encouragement so (laughs) thank you it's an encouragement to each other be thankful my brother for God has provided much more than you need from his bountiful store be joyful my brother a new day is dawning and brighter and fairer that morning will be so join with all voices and sing loud hosannas the saviour is coming to make us all free Father God, thank you for this time, Lord, where we've been able to think about how richly you have blessed us, Father. Not in material things, although we thank you that you give us what we need, but much more important than that, in spiritual things. Lord, we have been richly blessed to know you, to know our Lord Jesus Christ, to know your love for us and what you have done for us. And Lord, that puts everything into perspective. It frees us from the craziness of our own minds where we become jealous and envious, where we store up selfish ambition, all those stupid things which can dog our lives. You release us from that, Father, and thank you. Thank you for readjusting our perspective. And Lord, we all stand before you as your children. There is no slave or free There is no dual Greek, there is no male or female. 
we are just simply your children. We stand before you, Father, we praise you, and we give you what we can in our hearts. Bless as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.